What's up, everybody? Welcome to the View from Jamestown podcast edition. This is episode 81, and this morning we're sitting down with a very special guest for the for the second time in, I guess, two or three months, which is uh, which is exciting to have her back. We have uh, Kathy Hall back this morning. Good morning, Kathy. Thank you for joining us again. Thank you so much for the invitation. I only regret that I'm not in the room with you. I so enjoyed our visit in early June, and at that time, I'm not sure what my predictions for the market were, but it feels like a very long time ago. It does. Even though it was three and a half months, price-wise, demand-wise, everything-wise, it feels like a, a lifetime. But I'm uh, I'm thrilled to be back. Thanks for the invitation. I hope you and the team are all doing well. Yeah, all is well here. We uh, likewise miss having you here in person. Hopefully we can certainly keep mixing in a couple of these in-person ones in addition to the virtual ones. But nice to be able to get the get the episode done and, and chat with you this morning, even though you're not not here. So looking forward to it and, and looking forward to hopefully this being one of a sort of the beginning of a regular series, having you on. Um, you know, we're looking at maybe doing something on a quarterly basis, which I think is exciting. I think, like you said, there's a lot that changes in a in a short period of time, it seems like these days. So, um, you know, having you on, I think, on a, on a frequent basis would be extremely valuable. Um, and obviously, that the topics and info and, and data that you cover is extremely important to everyone making business decisions, no matter whether things are up, down, or, or sideways. So, looking forward to having you on again. Well, thank you. So, um, so yeah, I know we were talking a little bit about the the broad brush of essentially, you know, energy costs, the outlook for macroeconomics, shipping, all of these things that are not necessarily right right in front of us, but are, are also uh, really a, just looming factors at all times. So, you know, of those three, for, for just for me, maybe, but what are between energy, macroeconomics, like inflation or recession talk, and shipping, is there one that jumps out as you're paying more attention to or still paying more attention to? Like for me, it was European natural gas. I generally would kind of follow it, but I certainly am following it this year. I certainly looked at the price this morning, you know, so that's that's for me and, and my uh, my context. European natural gas is, is a factor in everything that, that we're doing even if it doesn't seem readily apparent. Yeah, I think all three are, are equally important. I think it's sort of the three inputs to the equation and you got to figure out which are, are weighing heavily, whether it's you know, obviously businesses like TCC where we're so kind of early on in the supply chain, we're selling to a lot of different industries and end uses and things like that. So certain things that you just mentioned may have more of an impact in some industries than others. Um, we've been talking a lot about, I think, the kind of macroeconomic landscape. And I think that is impacted by all the things you just mentioned, you know, obviously energy pricing both here and in Europe, which are two drastically different things. Um, we've been talking about a demand slowdown. Me and you were talking a little bit this morning about whether demand's actually slowing down or companies are just sort of right-sizing inventories, getting back to normal uh, sort of pre-COVID inventory levels, maybe bringing inventories down before the end of the year. Um, so I think that'd, that'd probably be a good place to start, maybe just kind of chatting generally about what you're seeing, what what folks you're talking to are, are saying about, um, you know, kind of what's happening if demand is really off or if companies are just sort of bringing their raw material inventories down. I think kind of on a general landscape, be interesting to hear what you're, what you're seeing. Sure. Yeah, thank you for that question. I think what, um, what we're at PetroChemWire, what, what we're largely focusing on ultimately is plastic and plastic end use markets. 
So, you know, they, uh, as the largest use of the key monomers, they are indicators really for everything. You know, if you're doing acrylics and solvents, the, the plastics are really your, you know, your lighthouse there, as it were. So um, on the plastics front, I do think that the, uh, the inventory situation, at least in the U.S., is one that is making demand appear to be lower than it might actually be. So where, you know, when they say prices for, uh, for what we're seeing in ethylene, propylene, benzene, most of our plastics, the polyethylene, polypropylene, polystyrene, and, you know, and of course the associated styrene, they're all down. Price, I mean, relative to when I last visited with you in June, uh, we went through June and July, especially with benzene in almost a state of shock as we're, we hit some historic highs and had a confluence of a lot of bullish fundamentals come to a head and create what appeared to be a little bit of a price panic. So since then, prices have certainly come down. I think they've come down for most chemicals. They've come down for a lot of markets. But with regard specifically to plastics, and plastics um, in particular that are used in consumer goods and construction goods, you know, for building, that's your strongest link to, uh, in my opinion, to a macroeconomic trend such as interest rates where home building or any real estate building, construction of home and office space has slowed. Now, it slows in general when the weather gets colder in this country because the ground is not as soft. I mean, that, that's a basic fact of the market. However, the, um, you know, catching um, a turnaround and a rising tide in interest rates slows investment always. So, you know, combined with, yes, it's the end of the year, but we're not necessarily seeing the demand on the horizon for a robust building season if interest rates still go up. So when you're at the, the plastic construction level, which is typically pipe or, you know, things associated with, with that, um, with homes, you know, doors and windows and, and things like that, um, there's, there's two things happening from what I understand on the building contractor level, who's buying the pipes and these materials. They suffered greatly during certain points of the past two and a half years where there was a, there was sustained backlogs of deliveries, um, you know that there was a as I think we discussed broadly in June, at the start of lockdowns in this country, every market took a pause for almost the you know entire first quarter. So you went into this with March of this is really happening, April this is really happening. May, we had, you know, some demand start to return. Also in that those early lockdown days, a lot of plants themselves, like fabricators, they shut down. They had a lot of, uh, you know, health issues and, and worker issues that, you know, absolutely um, just shut down certain aspects of production. So as that was coming back, there was a building season in 2020 that was a little bit already at a loss for materials. So when the materials were were resurfacing or the supply was resurfacing toward the end of the second quarter, the backlog was, was really pulling this almost like a runaway. And 
the international situation for all sorts of materials. Uh, it wasn't just the U.S. who was looking for more, 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 more. Um, you know, and again, I, I I like to tie a lot of things back to human behavior where I can. That we we had a lot of home improvement demand, so it wasn't just necessarily you know construction projects. It's contractors redoing my kitchen. Everybody was doing that, you know. So that was a so my point is that during 2020 and and beyond at the end of 2020 you didn't have a seasonal slowdown of cold weather you had get me those pipes get me those floors get me those windows get me every fabrication we can out of plastic because i'm i'm late i've been waiting on this since june i know it's november but i'll take it so that mentality erased the typical slowdown inventory destocking uh, typical restocking in the first quarter. All of that was was uh, was really just you know turned on its head in 2021. So you had this continuation plus with the international shipping delays and that that ongoing situation really bringing a lot of markets to uh, to all-time highs in a lot of ways in the middle of 2021. At some point on that downstream plastics level, you had consumers saying, I might not have seen that coming, but I'm not going to let that happen in the future, which leads to stockpiling. So now at this point, really starting, let's see, this is uh, September. So really starting possibly in July, we were seeing the first signs of not necessarily inventory satisfaction, but uh, the lessening of a panic. And that fundamentally shifts the power in a market from the sellers were not able to charge whatever they wanted anymore. So that when the power is kind of neutralizing, not really shifting to the buyers yet, but that the sellers um, were getting more in line with global market prices because they were beginning to compete with each other again on price where previously, if you had the supply, there was no competition. You had the supply, they paid what you wanted, they needed the supply. So when that slows down, which is what we've really started to see since July, is that um, inventory, depending on the market, but largely if you've got satisfactory inventory at the consumer level, and you're starting to look around at inventory at the producer level, well, we've got inventory. So that doesn't mean that there is less being consumed. It just means that they're consuming what they have. So what that does is as we get deeper into the year and the timing of all this is we are in the final 12 weeks, which for many is a general inventory destocking and for those in construction is a general slowdown. So the confluence of that with satisfactory inventories really gives that buying power back to the buyers, which they haven't had for more than two years. So at this point, you may have multiple sellers with their own inventory saying, I have some extra. I'm sorry, I shorted you last year, but if you'd like a few more cars and the buyer saying, what's your price? because I'm actually fine unless you can cut me a very good deal. 
So that's a that's a different feeling. And, you know, also, um, I think you and I were talking briefly this morning. What I what I, I'm fascinated about with the petrochemical industry in general is you do start with, you know, a few dozen mega companies and complexes, but at the end of it, you are sometimes dealing with small single site family owned businesses. These are in the thousands, you know, certainly across the country and and whatnot. That that's that's really the part that's touching the economy at home are many, many small operations and many small operations they they close at the end of the year you know the last two weeks of december if they're fine on inventories why are we running the plant let's let everybody have a happy holiday and so that the reason i bring that up is that a 12-week inventory destocking season becomes a 10-week season so that's that's where we're at on that front and also, if we do see any slowdown in demand, and you know, I'm not saying that it's all due to inventory, but if there is any slowdown in demand, for example, in construction, if they're watching rising interest rates and slow rolling some future projects, they're not necessarily needing material, especially in a falling market. Who's buying today as we record this, September 28th? If you're fine for October, why are you buying October? The price might be lower in November if you have some just-in-time needs, or can you actually make it through November and see what December brings? So these are the levels of decision, but also on a global basis, if you don't have the export demand that maybe you did, because if this situation is occurring around the world and we've got local inventory being satisfactory for the moment, nobody's screaming for U.S. product. And if we still have shipping delays in, the, in terms of scheduling, we've got products sitting at the port. So again, you know, on a producer level or a distributor or an exporter level, you're looking at the port saying, well, I've already got stuff there. And then you're looking at your customers and your customers are saying we're good. So at that point, you do, you do start to see the um, um, output rate or operating rate rollbacks, nothing dramatic, but in, you know, in certain plastics, I believe in um, polypropylene that we've heard, you know, some people are back to 75, 80%. And that's pretty normal when you are trying to manage your own inventories and output and not in the year long. So it just makes sense. But the price environment, um, this is reflected, of course, in the price environment. But the price environment, if it got overheated, it is definitely cooled down. And I, I personally think that while volatility is the speculative trader's dream, it is, it's not a dream for a distributor or a consumer or a producer or anybody holding inventory. Vol volatility has the potential to create very high-priced inventory. So that just adds a layer of pain that, in many markets, the goal is stability and lack of volatility, smoothing out, you know, that it's one thing to drop two cents a pound in a month. It's another thing to drop 20 cents a pound in a month, you know, that that's uh, so I, I feel as though perhaps in many of the markets we're going to be discussing today, we have we have seen the heat up, we have seen the cool down, and this might be a quiet time 
of just tweaking, are we in the zone and can we end the year here? Yeah, I think it's an excellent way of kind of summarizing everything and, and explaining how we got to where we are today and what's happening today. I think it's it's an interesting point. And I think you, you seem maybe a little bit more, I think, positive about what's happening versus kind of the doom and gloom you may hear in the news, which I think is an interesting way to put it. I think there's a lot of people we, we were just talking this morning. There's a, you know, I think news agencies maybe need something to talk about now and they want to keep floating this recession word out there because it drives, drives clicks and headlines. So whether we're in a recession or just a longer or earlier kind of Q4 slowdown, you know, it sounds like you're more on that kind of, it's just an earlier slowdown. Sure. Things are a little bit slower and, and catching back up with us, but not necessarily doom and gloom time to panic um, based on, I think what I'm, what I'm hearing. Yeah. And you know, I, I think that um, I agree with you. There is a, a lot of mainstream media buzz about, are we in a recession and don't know it? And, you know, that sort of thing. Yep. Um, but I think that in general, folks appreciate making that consideration rather than being surprised. You know, so particularly with home buyers, you know, um, if you if you qualify for a mortgage, you really want to move and get that property now with the current rate rather than roll that into another rate. Yeah, things like that. Um, but yeah, I think I I personally think that there is maybe it's simplistic, but that we are we are really still um, in a lot of markets very much in holiday consumption mode. You know, that I, I think that I've heard some people talk about, you know, Christmas was over in July, you know, but in terms of finished goods that are being shipped here and the inventory at the store level, because again, you know, when your your game consoles or that's, you know, was big in the mainstream media, but those those retailers don't want to run out of that this year. So maybe they overstocked on certain items as well as a preventative measure that are are still available. And they're like, that's okay, because we were prepared for it to not be available. But I still think the consumption for the holidays is largely there. And that's, that's where I don't have too much of a concern that the inventory won't be worked off in a timely manner, because I do think the consumption is there. The big question mark and this is a question mark every year, is the um, the Lunar New Year holidays in Asia, you know, because typically July, uh, January will be a month where it's a little bit quiet. And then when you're getting ready to ship to Asia, because when they're when when that region is back from their holidays and in full consumption mode, that's their restocking. So that might be more of a question mark right now. But I think what's on What's on these, I was going to say, you know, the U.S.'s side, but it's really the world side or any shipper's side in terms of competitiveness is my understanding is that freight rates are much lower than they were 60 to 90 days ago. And if that trend can continue or stabilize, that creates more avenues so that you become commodity specific. Is this working to this market? You're not saying this is working to this market. However, with the freight, this doesn't work to any market. So I think that uh, there could be more, the you know, resurgence of more robust international trade because you'll go on arms that assume a, a normal freight rate rather than um, one that crushes you or makes deals 
undoable. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, before we, obviously I know you spent a lot of time looking at benzene, propylene, ethylene, styrene. Before we get into some of those specifics, um, maybe just talking about kind of energies on a high level, I think would set the stage for that well. I know you obviously, I'm sure, track gas, which has been a, a large delta both in the U.S. Uh, versus Europe, um, and then obviously watching crude and Brent oil. Since you were, we last uh, were here in person, um, I think at the time, you know, crude was well over 100, maybe 105, $110 a barrel. Now it's sitting right around 80. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm sure that's that's played an impact with, I'm sure, driving some pricing down a bit. But what are you, uh, what are you tracking for the last couple months on uh, energies, and what do you think about it looking ahead to, to Q4? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, like you say, we've we had, we had breached the $100 level during the summer, and that was, you know, again, a um, an inflection point of do we continue or do we recede? Well, we've receded. So, you know, again, $75, $85 crude is, you know, certainly expensive, but it's, uh, I think the trend is made important, even if I think this morning if crude was up, you know, a dollar or two dollars, that's uh, it's it's the um, the rate and the volatility that is really important to the manufacturing world. So you know, so so seeing crude oil in a month go down twenty dollars is really disruptive. Seeing it move around in a three or five dollar band around the same price, and you're assuming okay, seventy five eighty five is is reasonable for my fourth quarter. That's a lot more comfortable than than the um, you know everybody's holding their breath in June, going what's happening. Natural gas, you know, it is uh, it is expensive here, I suppose, at you know six or seven dollars, but it's um, it's exponentially higher in Europe, you know, where it's it's certainly more on a on a um, MMBTU basis, it's above seventy dollars for sure. You know, so that's where there's a there's still a lot of challenges because natural gas. You know, in in Europe, it's a pretty localized market where I think Brent is uh, is more facile in terms of its global movability. You know, so the, you know being a pipeline market really is making the difference here, and the region is. It continues to work through its issues related to certain, you know, Russia and certain delivery mechanisms that have been true for decades that are really just changing this year. And I th- I think we might have touched on this in June that you just hear more and more companies in Europe making these changes to source energy to broaden their sources of energy. And they're saying they're not going to go back. So we, we will see permanent changes in Europe in terms of sourcing infrastructure and different supply agreements that will give that region more flexibility and therefore price protection against certain news events or political events driving trends in a sudden way, which the market will have in this case has no control over yeah so it sounds like it's uh, obviously the the price level is important and what the pricing sits at is, is certainly a factor but it sounds like the volatility has been more of the more of a concern if it's gonna if if crew's gonna stay at a hundred dollars and we can say that's gonna stay at a hundred dollars for a couple months that's okay obviously it's expensive but it's okay but it's this big swings up and down that really is is a problem right yeah and that was you know really when when I was in your studios last we were we were looking at 
benzene and styrene, really the European market was driving the entire world in those two products to record levels because it was playing out the, uh, you know, the theory of the market will bear whatever people will pay. And in June in Europe, people were paying record prices. Um, and I, I, that has, that has really dropped off where in, um, you know, with, with benzene in particular, I think we uh, we went above the seven dollar mark in in June, and right now we're sitting below the three dollar mark, and it hasn't been that much time. So imagine if you own inventory. You know, I'm hoping you've worked it off since June, but you know that that really creates a lot of pain for anyone that was buying in the seven dollar level, and just four weeks later, it's four dollars. You know, so that's the sort of thing that that can really, um, on the manufacturing level in the supply chain, that to me is the most dangerous situation, more than a high price. Like you say, you know, crude at $100, certain people in the market are not liking that at all. But if you have faith that it will stay there, you will pivot to accommodate that. So if benzene was $7 and staying at $7, that would be quite, quite a trend, but a known trend rather than where do you think it's going to go? Four dollars right now. I mean, as of yesterday, it was below three dollars. Yep. So, you know, so that kind of volatility really limits interest. It, it limits um, it limits a lot of buying interest. And again, that's where you you will see pockets of soft demand, particularly in the styrenics chain. I've been reading from my own colleagues that worldwide uh, polystyrene, styrene demand is softening. Softening is not dumping, but when when it comes to the price being cut in half over the course of five or six weeks, that makes more buyers run away from the market because uh, what's the phrase, catch a falling knife, you know, that that nobody is really interested to buy it for if the minute after you buy it goes to 350. Sure. So there's a lot of watching at this point. I do think, I mean, similarly, again, with, um, you know, with, with propylene, with the, uh, the finished grade stuff, you know, the polymer grade that um, our high for the year came with the Texas freeze. That was, uh, I, I want to say, talk about a freak storm with Texas. That was a freak storm in propylene, you know, that um, that I think as it was edging into the 70s and the 80s, and, you know, it was a little bit of, of a surprise there when that popped a dollar and it popped a dollar 20. I mean, that was just, there were very few people interested in that market except for people who absolutely needed that material at the time. So, you know, they got what they needed and they got out. We didn't see that deal happening repeatedly. But, you know, for propylene, for example, when that happened, that the hangover was a slide from over $1.20 per pound. That's It was the most expensive propylene on earth. Uh, by the time we got to... Uh, the second quarter, we were below 60 cents. That, that's 50% price loss. Very painful. And as you know, anybody in the supply chain is not shrugging that off going, 
oh, well, I'm glad that's over. It's taking you the rest of the quarter to, to normalize this within your system and absorb the shock that you had to endure on the way down, you know, especially if you were forced to participate on the way up in any measure. Now, we did see propylene pop up again with, you know, with energy. Um, when you see, you know, crude go to $100, propylene's not just like, that's nice. Propylene's also going to move. So we, you know, we did see propylene in um, in June really, you know, go not just above not just above 60 cents, but, you know, it went into the 90s again, but, uh, you know, it went right back down to 50 cents fairly quickly. So that sort of a trend is, it's, uh, it is highly disruptive along the entire supply chain. Now I'm talking about the finished grade high purity propylene that's used for polymers. So that's where it's very much related to the plastics demand and what I'm talking about, this trend of we need more, 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 more. So the market was bearing a higher price when we had all sorts of supply disruptions. But when all things seem to normalize, we're back below 50 cents again. Um, you know, we did see a little bit of a pop up earlier this year. But at this point, I think the whole trend that we've been discussing with a little bit of a, a demand softening and people working off inventories, we've got that finished grade high quality propylene, the polymer grade propylene, it's, um, it's sitting a little bit above 30 cents. And that's, I mean, that's its low price for the year at this point. Um, that said, we uh, propylene, you know, especially in its highs, but for much of the year, it had a, a, a to be a pretty decent margin because it's raw materials of which it has one of two. It's either the refinery grade propylene, the crude propylene that you upgrade, or propane, which you're putting in the dehydro unit and processing that way. Those prices, even though they're completely different markets, they were very close to one another all year. Um, really in the 20 to 25 cent per pound range. Now I know propane is a per gallon market, but over at Petrochem Wire, we always convert it to pounds because it is a, a feedstock that's going into dollars per pound uh, on the end. So when you're looking at 20 to 25 cents and you're in the 60s, well, bully for you, but the downside on the technical front is that we're now in the zone where it's um it, it's it's close to its cost and for some it might be out of the money. Uh, we saw that a little bit with ethylene. Ethylene has more participants in it as a market. It has more supply than propylene. It has more production sites than propylene. Um, it has it has um, not more end uses, but it's um because ethylene doesn't have a polymer grade to it, you know, there's no distinction. So your ethylene is going into glycols chains and acetyls chains and lots of things in addition to your primary plastics of polyethylene and PVC. But, um, you know, that said, with all of that, the different characteristics of ethylene being different, um, 
again in, in 2021, Ethylene hit record highs during its freeze and all that stuff. But really the 2022 market has, uh, it, it spent a lot of time in the 30 cent. And I think 30 cents was a mental number where, oh, we're below 30. Oh, we packed, popped up above 30. It's now closer to 20. And, but a lot of that higher price I personally think you had decent demand, but you had uh, it was driven by feedstocks. So our NGL complex for for ethylene was really out of the money for propane, butane, and heavier feedstocks. But for ethane, which is you know by far the the most popular feedstock for ethylene in this country, the the ethane price was really pushing this to be above cost. So, you know, as the price was rising, the number of buyers reduced, and then it would kind of realize that the only use for ethane is ethylene. So that's where that trend goes pretty quick, where if you're not, if there's not ethylene buying interest, there's ethane selling interest. So that price right sizes itself right now. So ethane at the moment is in the mid thirties per gallon, which is about 12 or 13 cents per pound. So again, we're back to an okay margin for those ethylene producers selling into the spot market. But you know, um, but even with its journey lower, I feel that over the decades, ethylene is better uh, as, a, as a cohesive market is better at mitigating volatility because there is more supply, there is there are more people in the market or more companies in the market so that, yes, it went from 30 to 20 over the course of the second half of the year, but it was, um, it, it wasn't, there, there were no shocking moves where you lost five cents in a day that I observed. Sure, so, sure. Uh, so I think maybe it was a softer landing for ethylene-based downstream products and solvents and intermediates and certainly plastics where you can see a slow slide and prepare for it rather than get whacked in the back of the head with a low price that, that you didn't expect. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and I'm going to ask you the question that I know if, if you had an answer to, you'd be sitting on a beach somewhere instead of talking to me because you wouldn't need to be reporting on these markets. You'd be accurately predicting these markets. But what uh, what is the outlook for Q4, I guess, kind of stemming down from crude and natural gas down mm -hmm. into these raw materials. Um, you know, obviously coming into the colder months, there might be a bit higher demand for these for home heating. Um, we're seeing all kinds of issues, pipeline potential issues in Europe with gas. Um, so what is the, what, what is kind of the outlook or the two cents you're telling people on your kind of predictions and thoughts for what Q4 has and, and coming into the end of the year? Sure. Yeah. Like you say, I'm also giving out lottery numbers that are not going to win. Right. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I do think that, um, that globally, but certainly in this country, certainly in Europe, the goal is stability and lack of volatility. The goal is to end the year on a quiet and manageable and reasonable note. And when I say reasonable, I don't mean reasonable for the producers and not the consumers, reasonable for the entire chain. So that you feel, I think that, um, you know, to be cynical about it, if, if you had a terrible second quarter, 
you didn't see something coming like a lot of people. You know, if your book was terrible in the second quarter or part of the third quarter, this can be the quarter that that you have a, a nice quarter that you everything is stable and calm down. You're running off of inventories. You're you know you're ending your year on a note that is not infused with panic and fear for anybody in terms of we can't sell the product. Also, it's too expensive to make. You know, we are even though. For example, with, um, you know, with styrene in particular, which, I, you know, styrene on a good day, I think is a challenging supply chain, just observationally. But um, that even with benzene globally being below that $3 level, it's it can still be challenging for styrene to maintain a margin. And again, if you've got, if you've got okay or reasonable inventories, you're not running full out. You know, and and you are also going toward a quiet end of the year. Now, I think that I look at the Lunar New Year as really when pandemic rules took effect. Even though we we in the U.S. and in a lot of Europe in early 2020, we were like, oh, the pandemic is happening in Asia. Asia is obviously connected to the rest of the world, very much so in the chemical and energy spheres, right? So it isn't, you know, as pedestrian as my mother saying, oh, the poor people of Asia have a pandemic. It was very much what is, so my point in this is that it wasn't as though in the middle of March, the world stopped because the U.S. went into lockdown. It was in November, we were already saying, what is Lunar New Year going to look like? Because there's already a situation developing in Asia that could mitigate demand or affect the ports. Now, of course, by the time we got to February and March, it was a completely different and hyper situation in terms of everything. You know, But the reason I bring that up now is that was three three years ago. That was November, October, November of 2019, where the first seeds of demand uncertainty, the first seeds of what's your worst case scenario, if this happens to Asia, worst case scenario, it bloomed in the whole world. But um, but my point now is that we're, we're not, there's a, as you know, there's a debate. Is the pandemic over? Is it an endemic? What is it? You know, it's certainly not what it was in 2020 at all or 2021 even. So we're at a different stage that I suppose various health, health agencies will label. But labeling aside, if, you know, if the ports of China are closed, I don't, it doesn't matter to me what the health situation is called. Because for me, it's called there's no ports open in China. So, you know, really watching, and this is what brings me to first quarter. Didn't forget your question. First quarter is about Asia demand and the holiday turnover of destocking, restocking, coming back into the market in February. So I feel as though that's still a question mark right now because you have these other things on the horizon, such as rising interest rates and, and whatnot. But we'll, uh, we'll, have a, we'll have a much clearer picture of that 
if we're at the end of September, really by the end of October, we'll have a better grip on where the uh, the shipping is that's going to be flowing out in November and December, or January fixtures will start getting made the second week of November. So we're we're I think we're we're cautiously approaching this in in a sense of um, I don't know I guess in terms of feelings which are never the best fundamentals but the feeling is let's not put ourselves in a risky position. So there's, you know, there's more risk adversity than usual because you might have some companies that profit heavily off of making the right call in risk and they're good at it because that's why they are who they are. Some of the bigger players in the international aromatics and olefin space, if they've taken big bets in the past and it usually pays off because they are very good at this, the bets are not that big right now, you know, that it's more about um, it, it is more about um, mitigating the risk and the volatility in the short term and waiting for more solid indicators from global markets, meaning for me, European natural gas and the state of ports and marine costs in Asia. So those are the two big things you're you're tracking here in a couple months is is what happens with gas in Europe and and obviously keeping a close eye on on freight. On an international level, yes, you know, I mean, I think that the the U.S. domestic or U.S. and Canada domestic demand, I feel is you know it's a reasonable bet to say it's it's going to stay regular, but those two things can tip the scales for for pulling a lot of demand or limiting a lot of transportation to the regions depending on so you know so if if, like i say you know gas at an equivalent of 70 dollars per mmbtu in europe 70 dollars is high if this gets to you know 150 ah, if it mitigates to 30 dollars okay you know so that's that that's something i know i'll continue to be mindful of and also the the ports in asia because they're they're crucial to you know to the global transportability of the commodities, particularly chemicals, container ships, all of that stuff. So if there are, are massive problems at the major ports, like Shanghai, we watched that that port. If that port's closed, what are we really talking about in terms of of uh, global shipments in, in, with regard to the to the region? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well lot, lot to keep an eye on, lot to uh lot to wrap your head around it sounds like what uh? What else is coming up for the fall? Are you traveling much? Are you been any trade shows, or what's what's coming up here for you? Well, I've just finished a little bit of travel, and um, I'm so, I've, I could have stopped by if I had planned it better. But I was up in Boston doing a little bit of travel, and then I was out in Chicago. Um, I think that there, um, you know, travel tends to wind down itself for the four, fourth quarter. But you know, 2023 could be an exciting time. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. Well, as always, Kathy, really appreciate your time. It was great, great talking to you. A lot of great insight on what you're seeing specific to some of these raw materials and, and price trends and things like that. A lot to keep our eye on coming into the end of the year. I think it'll be certainly interesting to chat come, uh, I guess, come early January and 
see what we thought and what's what's happening at that point. Um, you know, like we said, hope to have you on here uh, as a quarterly guest. I'm excited about it. I think it's a great time for him to sort of recap what's happening and, and be able to plan your, uh, your your quarters accordingly. So excited to have you on again. Maybe next time we'll certainly have you sitting right next to me here in the studio. Um, so I, we, we appreciate yes, it. I would and, hope that. And also, speaking of travel, I don't know if you have um, alerted your audience about your upcoming travel to Europe. Uh, yeah, so we'll be at the the K show coming up here soon. We'll also be at the EPCA, um, both in uh, have in you told about your own travel. Oh, you mean Depends. my 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 personal personal travel? Yes. Yeah. So we're so today's Wednesday. We're or we, I guess I, me and my fiance are, are getting married Friday, and we'll be in Italy from uh, Monday through the following Friday. So we'll have a uh, we'll have the full full team in in Europe. But between personal travel and, and some work travel, so it's going to be a busy European uh, European October. It is a nice time to be in Europe, professionally and personally. And think about this, because um, and I'll leave this when we contemplate demand and human behavior. One of my one of my favorite topics. Uh, think about things like weddings and anniversary parties and graduation parties and big big events. We didn't see those. We didn't see those for, for a long, you know, on a regular basis for a long time, you know, two years. So that is that is demand on a small scale. You're not the only person getting married this week. You know, there's there's thousands and thousands of weddings that require packaging and lots of materials and energy and whatnot. There's also larger events coming back, World Cup, Olympics, you know. So you know, that's that to me is really a bellwether of how normal is demand. Well, if people are getting married, but at the same time, I also think that there is a fairly healthy and normal demand for the Christmas gift season. But a lot of families that I personally know, and they can't be unique, they did big vacations this summer for the first time. Yep. A lot of people yep. did leave the U.S. to do a family vacation in Europe and South America, something exotic. And that will bite into your holiday spending. So we're not going to spend as much because we had that time this summer. So, you know, little tweaks here and there of behavior that, to your point from the beginning of the of our exchange, bringing it back, that if, uh, if eventually we are seeing things go back to where they were pre-pandemic, this is just another indicator of that all over the place. So yeah, yeah, I look forward to to coming back and seeing you in person, but I hope you have a great time traveling and uh, be careful out there (laughs) in the markets and in the world. Will do. As I said, really appreciate it. We'll certainly put your, uh, you know, links to your email address and website and whatnot down in the show notes wherever you're streaming this podcast. So I know you're a easy person to get a hold of, whether virtually or at some of these shows. So I know you're yes. always happy to chat on what's going on. I've, I've n- nobody gets more excited about benzene and styrene and ethylene than than you. So um, I know you're always happy to happy to help. We're we're happy to have you on. Um, and looking forward to to I guess catching up with you uh, after the new year, if not sooner. Thank you very much. Have a great one. Thank you, Kathy.